Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 3, Episode The Zeppo. This is the one where everything is from Xander's perspective. So I'm sorry, um, apologies ahead of time. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, um, typically this is the podcast where I recap, rewatch, rehash, review every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, and I didn't keep up part of my deal. Um, I had to work yesterday, and it was just, it's been, you know, there's been sickness and extra stuff going on in my life, and it just hasn't all worked out. So I did watch the episode on the day, and I took notes, and I did... I went into research mode, but by the time I was done with all of that, it was like after midnight last night, and I did not decide to record the podcast. So since it was already after midnight by the time um, I was all done with research mode and everything else, I was like, well, it's already not the day. So this does happen occasionally where like the actual podcast doesn't get uploaded until like the day after the 20 year mark. So, um, for those of y'all that are purists and like to listen on the day, um, I apologize. Most of the time I'm going to get it right, but every once in a while there's going to be a week like this week. So let's just go ahead and get some business shit out of the way since that was already business shit. Next week there will be no episode and then we'll be back two weeks. Um, so February 9th we'll be back to talk about bad girls and, um, then we'll have... Yeah, every week in February, with the exception of next week, Groundhog Day, we will have an ep- every Saturday in February, with the exception of Groundhog Day, we will have an episode to talk about. And then, unfortunately, once we get to March, things are going to get real sparse on the Buffy front. There's going to be one episode to talk about in March, zero episodes to talk about in April, three episodes to talk about in May, zero in June one in July, zero in August. I guess I'm going through the whole year right now. One in September. And then we'll pick up again with season four, um, pretty heavy starting in October. So we'll be on for like every week from October through almost the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, there's one, only one episode to talk about in December, but anyway, just for the, you guys don't care about all that, but <laughs> just cause I, it happened. I just did it. So, so we're talking about Zeppo tonight. Um, here's what I'm going to basically be talking about this episode through the lens of, so let's just go ahead and set that lens over everything. I'm not sure. This is one of those things where since I listened to the Buffering the Vampire Slayer Buffy podcast, what I like to think of as my sister podcast, even though they don't know I exist. Hopefully someday I'll be able to tell you that they do know I exist. I don't know. It could happen. Anyway, so I don't, one of those situations where I listened to their podcast before I watched the episode again. And so I don't know if this is something that I would have thought of on my own or not. However, I have to give them credit for, since they technically did implant the idea in my head. So one of them suggested, is this supposed to, is the entire episode supposed to be from 
Xander's perspective. I mean, obviously we're focusing on Xander as a character and most of it is from his point of view in general, but are they taking, is the director and the writer, are they taking this to the extremes in that absolutely everything is through his lens? And I think if you view the episode that way, it makes more sense because there are times when, you know, there's a lot of inconsistencies that you can point out in this episode, such as the way that the, that everybody treats Xander in this episode is not the way that they really treat him. You know, this entire episode, all the characters are saying things to Xander like, you should be Frey adjacent. Um, you should stay out of harm's way. You know, like they're not telling him anything about what's going on because they're trying to protect him. That is not how they usually treat Xander. I mean, I think it's true that Xander is the least... I mean, he doesn't have any superpowers. He's the least, he's the most inept character of the Scooby gang, but it's not, they don't treat him disrespectfully in that way. Like, I mean, maybe they're a little flippant towards his abilities in general, but it's not to the extreme that it is shown in this episode. So I think if you view it from the, from the, if you view it through the lens of every single thing we're seeing in this episode is through his perspective, I think that makes the entire episode make more sense. Because of course Xander would think that everyone dismisses him. That is the way that he would view the situation. I even think this extends towards the way that the other characters are acting not only with relation to Xander, but just in general, how they're all acting and how they're dressed too, because Buffy has like weird curly hair throughout this entire episode in a way that I don't know if we ever even see her hair styled like this again. And this could all just be maybe the costume designer was out sick during filming of this episode and they had a different costume designer. Cause I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. I have no outfit of the episode for this episode. I got nothing. I could, I was sitting there, I had watched the episode twice and I was sitting there after watching it the second time, trying to remember people's outfits and I couldn't even like think of anything. Like everybody's outfits were sort of exaggerated and bad in this episode. Like they were dressing Xander in sort of this like inept like everything was really loose and sort of comical. Um, Willow was wearing more childish and brightly colored things than usual and not in like the cute cool way that she usually does. Like it just wasn't even cool. Um, I don't even remember anything about Oz's outfits. Um, Giles was a little bit off too. Like his outfits weren't really Giles. Um, they weren't the level of sophisticated tweed that he normally has. They were more comical. So I don't know. I'd like to think of this as um, an intentional choice, but I don't, I just don't know. I, um, Cordelia, especially, um, I have some theories about Cordelia in this episode. First of all, what is with the clothing that she was wearing in this episode? It was all like super businesswoman. Like she was wearing like tailored suits and things like that. Like she, 
the actress at this point is probably, she'd probably be like 29 or 30 at this point. So like, I feel like they don't try very hard to make her look like a high school student. And I feel like they should be giving it a little bit more effort because she doesn't at all look like a high school student. So, and especially if you're going to put her in like tailored business type suits and she had like these weird updos and it just seemed very not Cordelia like, and, um, I might as well go ahead and the rest of my theory as for, per Cordelia, Cordelia, does not interact with anyone in this episode except Xander. And she's being very exaggerated. Like most of the time, the interactions between Xander and Cordelia, as y'all know, they bicker back and forth. They trade insults. They are pretty much wit for wit. You know, they're they're constantly giving each other shit. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. It led them to being in a relationship together for a second until he cheated on her. But that's what they do. In this episode, it's not painted that way at all. So either it's due to bad writing or this was an intentional choice. And again, that's, I'm just going to repeat that over and over tonight. I don't know if any of these things are intentional, but like if they are, I think it's kind of brilliant. So, I, my theory is, okay, so, sorry, I'm really scatterbrained today. Um, just as a little what's up with Mixtress aside, right now I feel guilty because I am not at my mom's new house helping her paint right now because I just realized like, okay, I need to record this podcast and it's going to be a lot easier for me to record the podcast when the house is empty. So this is the only time per for this entire day that the house is going to be empty. So I get really self-conscious, like sitting in my little closet, talking to myself. Like my mom even listens to this podcast. So she's going to hear every single one of these words. So why am I like self-conscious about the fact that she might hear them as I am recording them? But that's just how I am. You know, like I have a hard time and it's probably just an introvert thing. Like, I have a hard time. Like, I can say very personal things and, like, lots of people will hear them. Lots of people will hear this podcast and I have no problem with people hearing the information. But saying things in front of people, I can't do. Um, it's like, maybe it's some sort of empathic thing. Like, I... And a lot of it's just my own paranoia. Like, I think people aren't interested in what I have to say. And because I suspect that they're not interested in what I have to say, I'm constantly thinking about, well, they're, do they want to hear this? Do they want to hear this? And I'm second guessing myself. And like, my perceived thoughts of others are invading my head so much that I have no idea what my own thoughts are anymore. <laughs> so I feel guilty because I could be helping my mom pay right now. But... I also know that this is the time that I need to do this and I will feel a lot better if I can go ahead and get this done. So I'm going to try not to like rush through this podcast experience because I do have a lot to say about this particular episode. So talking a mile a minute and I'm all over the place getting over a cold. Like I think I'm in the home stretch now. Like I haven't taken any day quilt today. So that's a plus. 
<laughs> I like not being on DayQuil. Um, but you know, when you need it, you need it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, basically my theory is that since Cordelia doesn't interact with anyone except Xander in this episode, and in this episode, her actions towards Xander, their dynamic is completely different. She is just throwing witticism after witticism at him and insulting him and being really like, I don't know, less, she's usually a little bit smarter with her insults that she throws at him and he always throws right back and he's not doing that in this episode. In this episode, he's just sort of like, he's being very affected by it. He's being very bumbly. Um, and maybe, I don't, I can't recall, like, is this the first time that she has really, no, this isn't the first time that she's like started trading insults with him again, but it, he maybe hasn't been throwing it back at her ever since he cheated on her. It's possible. It's possible. He's just been taking it lately. And this is just, we're seeing so much more of it since the whole episode is from his point of view. But my theory with Cordelia in general in this episode is that she is either a figment of Xander's imagination or he has like far less interactions with her and we're seeing the exaggerated version of it. Again, I really think this episode makes more sense if you think of it as this is not literally what happened. This entire episode is not literally what is going on with Xander. It is how he perceives everything that's going on. And I think that includes Cordelia. I think in some ways we're supposed to see this Again, if the writers did this intentionally, I think we're supposed to see this as Cordelia's voice is always in Xander's head. Like, she's always kind of there in the background insulting him. Like, especially the scene where, I mean, I could see there being an interaction where she sort of, like, insults him on the playground or whatever that happens at the beginning of the episode. I could see that being, like, something that actually happens between the two of them. But her just being at the donut shop, like, she doesn't seem to be doing anything. She just happens to be there, and she torments Xander for a few minutes. And, yeah, it just doesn't seem like she would actually be there. So I think maybe she wasn't there. Like, he would just had her voice in his head. Not that he hallucinated her being there, but that that's just, like, the symbolic representation of what's going on in Xander's psyche that we're seeing, or something. <laughs> Again, I'm probably putting too much, you know, I'm putting more thought into the episode than possibly the writers put into it, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, basically that's my big thoughts on this episode. So let's go through my notes too. Um, first time we see, I wrote this down. Is this the first time we see Giles not in tweed? Not in his regular, like, three-piece suit kind of thing. Possibly not, but it is one of the first times. So at the very beginning of this episode, he is in, like, a, like, sort of a sweater pullover in a more casual outfit. I mean, it's obvious that he is not in school at the moment. So I guess this is his, like, day-off outfit that doesn't include tweed. But this is not something that we've seen a lot, and we will see it a lot more starting especially in season four. But I guess this is the first time he's not, my first thought was, okay, maybe this is when his wardrobe sort of changes because he's not officially Buffy's watcher anymore since he just got fired at the end of the last episode. But we see him back in the 
in the three-piece suits and stuff earlier or later in the episode but so I'd, I'd probably not the first time we've seen him in his little pullover situation but um I do sort of when he gets to that point where he's just wearing more casual clothing um I do miss the tweed so that is just sort of this scene was a subtle reminder to me to appreciate every moment of Giles and Tweed that we can. So if, if you need that in your life, just soak it up because, you know, we only have till like the end of this year, as soon as they're out of the high school, I don't think we ever see him in one of those Tweed suits ever again. And maybe he didn't like wearing them. <laughs> you know, maybe Anthony Stewart head was like, look, I'm not her official watcher anymore. I'm not the librarian anymore. Don't make me wear those fucking suits. <laughs> Which, fair, I guess. But that's just when Giles is the sexiest, I think, is when he's in the three-piece in the tweed suits. Anyway, I always go on so many, like, fashion tangents. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, I wrote down when Faith says, hey, we get Faith again. This is the first time we've gotten Faith in... We had two whole episodes without her, and finally she's back. I wrote down when Faith, after they were fighting those, like, demon chicks, she said, these babes were wicked rowdy. <laughs> I love that. I love it so much. And I think she is supposed to be from, like, the Boston area, so the fact that she would say wicked rowdy, accurate, right? Um, I also wrote down that um, Buffy sort of suggested to Xander that he should maybe, you know, stay out of the fray. Be fray adjacent. <laughs> I like that. Um, all of this, like, bumbling Xander shit aside, or withstanding, I guess, but I enjoy the, like, slapstickiness of this episode in general. Um, I'm pretty sensitive to slapstickiness going over the top, and I think they did okay with this episode. I think my mom would disagree. Like, her only opinion on this episode was, I don't like it. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I overall do still enjoy this episode, and I was a little nervous because my opinions on Xander have changed significantly since I first started watching the show. When I first watched the show, the first couple of full watch-throughs of the show, I you know, the first one, of course, being as it was airing, and then afterwards, when I first bought the DVDs, like, 10, 15 years ago, um, I had a huge crush on Xander. Like, I thought he was great, but, um, I see him for all of his flaws now, <laughs> and so I was thinking, shit, am I still gonna love this episode? And I did still really enjoy it overall. His, you know, his jokes in the beginning, the scene whenever he was, like, hiding, um, and everybody else was very on top of things and fighting, and Willow's doing spells, and Giles is doing spells and fighting, and, like, everybody was fighting together throughout this entire episode, which is not how they normally act, but whatever. They were actually telling Faith what was going on and asking for her help in the fight against evil. Wow, isn't that considerate of them to finally fucking include her? Okay. So, um, I, I found that, um, I found his, like, bumblingness and, like, his jokes in this first scene to be endearing. You know, these, the way that Xander is in this episode, for the most part, is the good version of Xander. 
And I would like to sort of pay attention because I feel like this episode is trying to tell us that this, that the events that happen to him throughout this episode are a turning point for him. These are an evolution point. This is an evolution point for Xander. And I'd like to see if that sticks. I'd like to pay some attention to that. Um, Because I feel like unless I'm wrong and I still just have, you know, misappropriated crush feelings for Xander, I feel like he becomes less of an asshole at some point. Like, he probably still makes a a stupid sexist joke here and there, and he's overall not a guy you want to be in a relationship with. However, I think at some point he grows up. And is it now? Does it ever actually happen? I don't know. You and me together at this, at the what's this bitch talking about family. (laughs) We're going to get to the bottom of it. It might take us years, but I'd like to see, is this the turning point? Is this it? Because he's been pretty much an insufferable asshole almost constantly since the very beginning at this point. So it'd be interesting to know if, you know, all he needed was to have sex with Faith and now he's better. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Anyway, um... Another, I think this is sort of another, like, piece of evidence that might point to, hey, this is all from Xander's point of view. Because when Willow does the, this is still, we're talking about the very first fucking scene. When Willow does the, um, when she says she brought marshmallows, whenever they're kind of talking about, what do we do? Do we burn the bodies? Like, what's going on? And Willow's like, I brought marshmallows. And then she says, occasionally I'm callous and strange. And I feel like that's not really something that Willow would normally say. I mean, it's true that occasionally she's callous and strange. So maybe that is, again, just how Xander sees her. Like he, like maybe all she actually said was, I brought marshmallows. And he thought to himself, occasionally she's callous and strange. But again, also not the language that a teenage boy would actually think in especially teenage boys such as Xander, but whatever. (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm putting too much thought into it. Okay, let's move forward. My next note was, since when does Xander try to engage someone outside the Scoobies? I I found this a little unbelievable. That that, um, playground, or not playground, but like courtyard scene the next day when Xander's trying to get like some random jocks to throw a football at him. I don't, I mean, I guess they were just trying to have an excuse for him to run into the Jack O'Toole character, um, and piss him off and just establish his, his relationship to machismo in the high school dynamic outside of the Scoobies, whatever. They needed some reason. Now we set up, there are definitely some very outdated jokes in this episode. There's a couple of no homo situations, you know, the whole like, I'm not gay. Really, I'm not. Um, Jokes that were just seen as like, they were barely a blip. Like we wouldn't even really necessarily notice jokes like that back in the late 90s, early aughts. But they're pretty obviously outdated now watching it again. Also, Jack O'Toole calls Xander retarded or asks if he is retarded. So there's another like, people don't say that anymore. Thank God. 
Um, I, it was suggested in some of my research mode. Oh my God, research mode took me a long time this time because normally, you know, I have my four little Buffy books that I look up each episode in the index and then I read whatever the books have to say. And sometimes that portion of my, you know, preparing for the podcast takes most of the time that portion of it takes less than 15 minutes. You know, I just look up the episode in the index. There'll be two or three pages where it's mentioned and it might just be mentioned in a paragraph or two or something. But the Zeppo, God, people love talking about this episode. One of my Buffy books had an entire chapter on this episode alone. And I did try to read it all, but it just, it was a lot of just summarizing the episode and not really having a lot of thoughtful things to say about it. So I don't think I got a whole lot from that, but I tried. There was a lot. It took me probably an hour to go through all of the things that were written about this episode in my four little Buffy books. So people really think this is a highbrow episode, apparently. I mean, it is different from the norm because it's from a different character's perspective. I wish we had more of that in Buffy. You know, we don't have a single episode from Willow's point of view. Um... I guess we sort of have that episode, A New Man, in season five, that is, is it all from Giles's point of view? It might be. So, yeah, but we never get a Willow episode. We never get a from Faith's point of view episode or whatever. You know, it's all just Buffy and then this one Xander and then that one Giles episode. And, you know... A TV show that's 144 episodes long really had time to delve a little bit more into characters other than Buffy, and as I've lamented many times before, they just don't take that opportunity. They just don't flesh out all of their characters as much as they should. Um, But at least they did so with Xander. I mean, I like that this is included, you know? I think every, especially every fucking one of the core four characters should get their own episode every once in a while. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> what I was going to say before that whole rant. So in one of my Buffy books, let's see, which one is it? Why Buffy Matters is what the book title is. That was the one that had the entire, or maybe that isn't the one that made the comparison. I don't know. They're all mixing together. I think it was Sex and the Slayer. So I have this gender studies primer Um, Buffy book called Sex and the Slayer that suggested that Jack O'Toole is like a penis metaphor. Like there's several penis metaphors in this episode, of course. Um, But Jack O'Toole is supposed to be, you know, like the embodiment of penis energy, I guess. He's supposed to be like the macho dude, the man. And there are several like stupid jokes throughout the episode, like denigrating Xander, saying that he's not really a man, he's not actually a man, all that kind of shit. Um, and Jack is supposed to be the the anti-Xander, you know? Um, obviously, he's supposed to be the anti-Xander, but he's supposed to be the man. And it's interesting because there's so much homoeroticism with Jack. Like, Jack is like 
threatening Xander with that knife and there's that whole joke of like where do you want it and Xander's like fairly sure I don't want it at all and you know he's sort of caressing his face with the knife and it's just very all of his threateningness towards Xander is very homoerotic which you know I'm sure that was intentional I don't know what that means it's just like the way that men are allowed to express any sort of homoeroticism is through violence towards each other like the wrestling metaphors and like I don't know it's I feel like this episode maybe is trying to say some things about machismo and stuff like that I just don't I don't have enough of a background on those types of nuances being that I'm a girl and machismo is like so fucking boring to me that like if somebody's doing that shit I'm just like no I'm done done talking to you I don't you don't care about your macho bullshit I don't like macho posturing so obviously Jack O'Toole's doing a lot of that and we're supposed to see Xander as being way better than him because he doesn't do that but he does do that Anyway, I like when Cordelia told um, Xander that Jack would macrame his face. That makes no sense, but it sounds cool. He'd macrame your face. Um, there's a scene with Xander and Oz where he's just sort of, it's a funny little scene where Xander's just sort of asking, asking Oz, what is the essence of cool? Like, you seem to have it. Um... And I have to point out this shitty thing that Xander says in this conversation. Like, he's talking to him, like, maybe it's a guitar. Maybe I should learn to play the guitar. You play the guitar. That Maybe that's what makes you cool. And I'm just sort of obsessing about it. He's like, well, I played the flugelhorn in middle school or something, junior high. But I was getting zero trim. Trim? <laughs> Referring to women as trim? Oz should have called him out on that shit first of all. Um, but I do really like how Oz basically, you know, he's just sort of letting Xander go off on his little obsession. And he actually says to him at some point, well, you've got this exciting new possession, which I think makes you very special. And then Xander says something and, and Oz replies with, well, it seems like you've got some identity issues. And I love that. I love that. Of course, Oz is going to say it seems like you've got some identity issues. Like, he... And that's sort of a thesis statement for the episode. This whole episode is about who is Xander? Who is he going to be? How is he going to fit into this world that he has found himself in? Where he wants to fight evil, but he doesn't have special powers. Where does he fit in? I think that's an important question. I think it's good that we're getting an episode surrounding how Xander sees himself in this world. And, um, I like that. Uh, okay. Everyone. Oh yeah. And then I wrote everyone except cis white hetero Xander has real problems. I think that is something that no one was talking about in any of my Buffy books. Again, I only have four, so I'm sure somebody has talked about this at some point, but, um, I feel like it's supposed to be obvious by how slapsticky, how 
cheesy this episode is, even just like the the jaunty little fiddle score that is like Xander's score, which I love to death. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. I think it's the perfect score for Xander. But I mean, all of it is kind of letting us know, even though it's sort of making fun of how dramatic the world is in which he's found himself, like all the stuff that, that, um, Buffy and Giles and Angel and Willow are going through, it's actual end of the world stuff. It's pretty damn important, but it's played for laughs because it's not Xander's world. Xander's biggest problems are you know, whether or not he's cool. This entire episode is him worrying about whether or not he's cool, he's a real man, where does he fit in, um, in this world of superheroes that he's in. Like, these are the, he, just like Oz said, seems like you've got some identity issues. It's not the end of the world. That's literally what Oz says to him. Seems like you got some identity issues. It's not the end of the world. And then literally the next scene, Oz is walking into the library to lock himself in a cage because he's about to turn into a werewolf. Like, Oz has got a real problem. He's a werewolf. Buffy's got a real problem. She's a slayer. Willow's got a real problem. She's a witch. You know, like, everybody else has much bigger, more nuanced important things to think about, but Xander is preoccupied with whether or not he's cool. Like, <laughs> it's so laughable, which is why this episode is laughable. And I feel like a lot of people want to put, I don't know, some, some kind of profundity onto this episode that doesn't exist. Like, obviously I'm talking a lot about it as if, you know, it's saying a lot, which I don't think it's necessarily trying to say all of these things, but I think it's important to see that contrast. We can laugh at how dramatic Buffy and Angel are, but their world is literally life and death every single second. You know, they've got some shit they have to deal with. They've got real angst. Whereas white hetero cis Xander just has to worry about whether or not other people think he's cool. <laughs> like, shut up, Xander. Another moment where Sorry, I was like, I unpaused it as I was still taking a drink. Like, my timing's not right. Okay. Um, another moment where I thought, hey, maybe this is the way that Xander sees everyone. Because everyone else's, like, the wardrobe in this episode, either that costume designer is just on vacation, or it's just the way that Xander sees, everything is just the way Xander sees it. Like, he doesn't see fashion. He doesn't, like, notice shit. There's this scene where Willow is wearing, like, pajama pants. Like, they're plaid pants that are super baggy, but they really genuinely look like pajama pants. That is not something Willow would do. She might wear plaid pants, but they would be stylish. So I really think that these pants are the way that Xander sees Willow wearing plaid pants. He sees it as pajama pants, but it's fucking not, you know, but it is, but it's not. Um, this is the scene where, um, Willow, Willow and Buffy are talking and they, um, and then Xander shows up in that like really pretty turquoise car, Ford Bel Air, apparently. Um, and this is where Buffy literally says, is this a penis metaphor? Because he's like, I did it. I found my thing. This is my thing. I'm the guy with the car. I got a thing. Um, 
And I love that, that Buffy just points it out. This whole episode. Is it a penis metaphor? I guess. Um, another little piece of evidence that supports my theory that court, that everybody is just the way that Xander sees them, and especially Cordelia. That um, scene where he's at the donut shop getting donuts for everybody, and Cordelia rags on him for a few minutes. She actually says the words, I am the surgeon of mean. And I just don't think that's something that Cordelia would normally say. Again, could just be bad writing, could be that we're seeing the way that Xander sees things. Um, my next note was Nameless Chick Obsessed with Cars. However, I can't remember what her name was, but one of my Buffy books named her. Like, as if she was a named character, but basically there's this chick that shows up while he's getting ready to leave the donut shop and she's like oh my god your car it's fuel injected ford bel-air 67 blah 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 and she's like sorry i'm trying to minimize the barking but i don't know when it's going to start so you're always going to hear the beginning of a bark <laughs> but anyway she says all this shit about the car and she's like super interested in xander because of his car and i really don't think there's any dialogue at any point where he asks her what her name is. He doesn't care. She's completely a red shirt. Although she doesn't die. She just runs away whenever that zombie guy is reanimated later. But she's completely unimportant to the plot. So that is docking some serious points in the treatment of women situation. Um, I don't totally think that this scenario is bullshit. Because in high school, I dated a guy that had a firebird. And he genuinely got a lot of interest, mostly from men, but sometimes from women, because he had, like, a sports car. There really are people that, like, are interested in dudes because of the car that they have. Like, I always thought that was just, like, some sort of, like, movie trope or something until I actually saw it play out in real life, but that's an actual thing. Um... Oh, and then he makes that stupid joke um, when the the nameless chick, which apparently has a name, but I didn't write it down, um, or maybe somebody just saw the name in a script, like she was named in the script, but she didn't actually have, maybe she says her name at some point. Anyway, whatever. I'm going to stop obsessing about that. But she says something to him about, does it handle like a dream? And Xander says, like a dream about warm, sticky things. Like, ew. Okay. Ew. I just, ew. Gross, Xander, ew. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the first time I, in my notes, the first time I said, is Cordelia even there? Does she interact with anyone else? No, she doesn't. This entire episode, she does not interact with anyone except Xander, and no one reacts to her as if she's there. Although I don't think there's any scenes where anyone could react to her as if she's there, because all the scenes between her and Xander are just the two of them. Um, I wrote, uh, Giles, I think this is my quote of the episode, just because, I don't know, it just seemed profound to me, taken by itself. Um, Giles is suggesting, suggesting that they contact the spirit guides because of this whole apocalypse situation that's happening. And then he says, they exist without time, but have knowledge of the future. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That just seems profound to me. Like if spirit guides exist then they do exist without time, but have knowledge of the future, right? <laughs> they're like, they're like the, the aliens from Arrival. 
Like time is not linear for them. They, ex- they experience all of it at once. Right? <laughs> you guys like that theory? I don't know. I kind of want to believe in spirit guides. I feel like it would, it would make me a little braver in my day-to-day life if I could believe that I had spirit guides. So I'm working on convincing myself that that's real. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. That's where we get, oh God. So Xander accidentally bumps into what we think is Jack's car because he just happens to be there and he starts being all threatening towards Xander. But we find out later it's not his car at all. Um, That's where we get the whole, he's like threatening Xander with that gigantic knife. There's a penis metaphor, Jack's gigantic knife. And where he says, where do you want it? And Xander says, I'm fairly certain I don't want it at all. Um, and at some point he says, not in a gay way in that conversation. Um, and then at that point, because Xander didn't rat Jack out to a cop that showed up, um, Jack decides that Xander's cool now and he's his wheel guy. And then they go reanimate some of his friends because apparently Jack's thing is that he's a zombie and all of his friends are zombies and they want, they want Xander to be in their gang or whatever. So I don't know if we're supposed to see this as, hey, Xander was confronted with possibly being a part of a manly group and he chose not to do it. Almost like he's, are we supposed to think that he is intentionally choosing this world where he is the bottom of the hierarchy when he could be in an in-group with a bunch of dudes? Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously they're painting these guys as being awful. I mean, not only do they have this whole macho situation, like frat boy kind of vibe to them, but they're also zombies. So we're supposed to not like them. We're not supposed to think that this whole macho thing is cool. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of both thoughts with this episode. Like sometimes I'm thinking that it's just really not that thoughtful, but other times I'm like, well, they really are bringing up a lot of, for me, a lot of conversations about masculinity and toxic, toxic masculinity and all of that shit. So maybe it's supposed to bring up these conversations, you know? Anyway, um, I just thought it was funny that one of the, the first guy that gets reanimated by Jack the first friend that he reanimates says Walker Texas Ranger you've been taping him (laughs) because like he'd been he'd been out he'd been dead for like eight months um yeah anyway also why okay here's where I call some bullshit like the whole thing about not the whole mythology in in the Buffy universe about reanimating the dead is that you can't get them back the way they used to be. Like if you reanimate a corpse, they're going to be like brain dead. They're not going to be who they were. Um, you don't have, nobody really has the, the skill to do that. But this guy does, this random dude has the right mojo to reanimate his dumbass frat boy type friends. And they're like, the same as they were before, except they look like corpses. Like I, if I go back to my theory that this is all in Xander's head, like maybe none of these guys actually existed. Oh my God. 
Maybe they were all pieces of Xander's own toxic masculinity. Maybe the only one of these guys that actually existed was Jack. Although the only person that talks to Xander about Jack, the only person that ever acknowledges Jack's existence at all is Cordelia, and I don't think she's really there. (gasps) What if none of this actually happened? (laughs) I don't know. I like that theory better because it explains all of the plot holes. Okay, um, Giles is talking to spirit guides in the cemetery. He says something about, this time it's different. There's a stench of death. And then Xander says, yeah, I think it's Bob. (laughs) Bob was one of the guys that Jack reanimated. And he just doesn't even react to that at all. Speaking of Bob, the next scene we see um, Willow coming out of the magic shop. And it's called Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. (laughs) Don't you want, like, a shirt? that has embroidered on it Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. I don't know. I just think that's just so elegant. (laughs) I probably wouldn't have noticed that that was the sign if it weren't for um, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. They mentioned it, so I was looking for it whenever I watched it, because I've never noticed that before. Um, You got a problem with dead people? That's something that one of the zombies says to um, Xander at some point, and take it like a man. Um, we do get a nice little moment where when Xander is driving through town or something at some point, he sees Faith alone fighting one of those like demon chicks and he drives up and he's literally knight in shining Bel Air to Faith. And that's when he, he takes her back to her hotel slash apartment. And um, she's just all, like, wound up because she didn't actually get to kill the demon. Um, So she decides to have sex with Xander. This I don't call bullshit on. Like, I don't think that this didn't happen. Like, if I'm going, if I'm just stripping away the metaphor and what I think actually happened in this episode, I think that there is some bully, maybe, named Jack, that torments Xander a little bit. And he ends up hanging out with his friends. Maybe the friends exist, but they're not actually zombies. You know, whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm taking this too far. But I do... I don't think, like, all the situations are in Xander's head. Like, I know that he actually had sex with Faith. I mean, they deal with this in future episodes. Um, And I don't think this is... I don't call bullshit on this. I think this is totally within Faith's character to decide that she is horny and wants to do Xander because he's convenient. He's there. He's not unattractive. He's there. He's willing. I think this is absolutely something that Faith would do. And I don't think this is a terrible character choice. Um, I don't think Xander... I think Xander would be totally into it just the way that he is. You know, I think this makes sense. The scene makes sense to me. Um, I do think it's kind of bullshit that, like, as soon as he... It's not completely night and day. Like, Xander's still fumbling. He still needs to go to Buffy to ask for help. He's not painted as being completely different after he has sex with Faith. But there is sort of a confidence shift at this point. And I don't know if they're trying to say that all he needed was to get laid... But I don't think they're trying to say that because, again, it's really not 
beating you over the head with it and he doesn't really seem changed but he does have a little bit more confidence at that point but he was starting to gain it even before that happened um so I don't think they're necessarily trying to say that. I was I was really sensitive to that too. I was really thinking, okay, is it basically like all of the like cotton candy in his head just clears as soon as he has sex with someone? A little, but not really. So I, I'm okay with the way that this transpired in general. Um, I love, 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 love how in the last, I guess they would probably call it the last act of the episode, um, you know, like the last 10 or 15 minutes or so, when we get like the Xander theme, the like jaunty little fiddle music, how they're kind con- they weave in and out of like, he notices some of the drama that's going on with everyone else and how the world's ending and all of that shit. And it's, it's their music. It's, it's the drama, it's Buffy drama music. And then it weaves back into Xander's jaunty little fiddle music as he's running through the halls and stuff like that. And I love how they do that. They do a really good job with that. The score in this episode, Christoph Beck, um, does the score for Buffy most throughout most of the series. And he did a great job with this episode. I love it. Um... I love that Xander says, hello, nasty, when he gets to the boiler room, the basement or whatever that has the bomb. Um, First of all, I had to make the note, he shouldn't have done this all alone. He didn't know how to defuse this bomb. They were in the school. He was jeopardizing everyone's lives by not telling them about this, by just assuming that he could handle this situation on his own, which is very much you know, a machismo kind of bullshit thing. Am I saying that word right? Is it machismo? 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 <laughs> I'm just going to say machismo and because it's cheesy. <laughs> um, such a machismo thing that like he would think that he could defuse this bomb by himself, having no knowledge, no information whatsoever. He just thought he was going to out Clint Eastwood, Jack O'Toole. And he did. And it was cool. It was a cool moment that he, you know, basically just stared him down and he was like, it's all right. You know, which one of us has more fear? That was like the whole, that's where I really think this episode is not as profound as I'm trying to make it. It's, you know, the episode started with Jack was the bully to Xander because Jack wasn't afraid of anything. But towards the end, it was like, well, actually Xander's the one that's more macho Xander's the one that's manlier because he has less fear because he was willing to just like have that stare down with Jack until he defused the bomb himself which is a cool moment however really irresponsible of Xander he should have told everyone what was going on he should have gotten some help like I realize that like they're going through some serious shit but and he felt like he was intruding with stupid stuff. But not really, because it would make no difference that they saved the world if the whole school blows up because of the bomb in the basement. Which, aren't they... I mean, the Hellmouth opens up at the library, but Xander's in the basement, which means he's even lower than the Hellmouth point, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. 
Anyway, whatever. Don't think too hard about plot points in Buffy, like I usually say. I mean, I still do it, but anyway. Also, Xander does a stupid-ass thing because after he has a little stare down with Jack at the very end, and he's like, I don't think I want to see you around this town anymore, he just leaves him alone in the room where he could easily just reset the bomb and leave. Like, that is dumb. He didn't know that Xander was in a closet and that Jack was going to try to go into the closet for some weird reason and Oz, as a werewolf, was going to eat Jack, like, and leaves no evidence whatsoever and no one ever even knows. He just, the next day, says, I'm oddly full today. (laughs) And no one, like, no one even mentions, yeah, Oz got out of his little closet last night. I wonder if he ate anyone. Like, wouldn't he then go terrorize other shit? Again, don't think too hard about the logistics of the plot points and Buffy. Okay, um, then the very, very last scene is Buffy, Willow, Oz, and... Buffy, Willow, Oz, and Giles, of course sitting around a picnic table, like, talking about everything that happened. Like, God, it was crazed last night, Xander. You missed it. Um, and Buffy's saying to Giles that, you know, what he did, I can't believe you did it. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen and shit like that. So obviously, obviously Buffy has forgiven Giles for what he did to her in the very last episode, you know, when he drugged her when she turned 18 so that she didn't have her slayer powers anymore. I mean, it was pretty obvious that she forgave him as soon as he got fired and stood up for what was right. However, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of... I think he should have had to be sort of bumbling, trying to earn her trust back a little bit longer. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. And I guess just because he's a white guy, they didn't give it the gravity, like, if it was Buffy that had done something that terrible to someone else, they would have made her pay for it for a few episodes. Um, so I would have liked to have seen a little bit more nuance there. However, again, that could be explained away by Xander. Like, this whole thing is through Xander's point of view, in my mind, in my own little headcanon. So I guess that makes sense that, like, he doesn't know about, does he even know anything about any, I mean, I guess he might know a little bit about that shit that happened on her birthday, the whole cruciamentum thing and all that, but he doesn't know that much about it because he probably doesn't even care because it doesn't concern him and he's a teenage white cis hetero dude, so he only cares about himself. So whatever. Um, it is, like, Again, I feel two ways about it, because the very end of the episode is Xander just sort of confidently walking off. He doesn't tell anyone that he, you know, defused that bomb, and he kind of also saved the world last night through doing that. Um, Because probably whatever was coming out of the Hellmouth would have endured the bomb, and they would have taken over the world or whatever they were going to do, right? Um... Yeah, anyway. And I'm sure the library is going to be, like, totally fine next week. It's going to all be put back together as if nothing happened. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Anyway, (laughs) so on the one hand, it's kind of cool that he doesn't tell everyone that 
well, he didn't tell any, I mean, he really shouldn't tell everyone, right? He didn't tell them any of the shit was going on whenever it could have massively affected all of their lives. They could all be dead right now because Xander refused to ask for help. I mean, let's be real. But it is kind of cool that he doesn't at, he doesn't ask for any recognition. He's just like, oh, I like the quiet life. And he walks off. And that's when he encounters Cordelia one last time. And she, like, throws an insult at him. And he just sort of walks past her and just doesn't, you know. He's, he's self-assured right now. He feels like he is now cool. Um, so on the one hand, I'm glad Xander like got his little moment of confidence boost. If he actually is evolving into a better human from now on, I will be paying very close attention to that. And if he is, you know, I'll give him this little moment. (laughs) I'll let him have it. Um, Let's see. I also have like a whole page of notes when I was in research mode. Let's see if there's anything I haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, supposedly like not only is Jack O'Toole the character, a whole penis metaphor thing, macho stand-in guy thing, but apparently his name, Jack O'Toole, was supposed to also be a penis metaphor. I don't know. Is that like Jack off and Tool being penis? Like, I don't I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Anyway, that's what one of the books said. Um, there was a comparison between Xander and Ron Weasley. There's this whole chapter in my Why Buffy Matters book that is like comparisons between Harry Potter and Buffy, which is kind of interesting um, if you think about it. Um, and as I said in the last episode, I think I did, um, I put every one of the core four characters into one of the one of the um, Harry Potter houses. I guess that doesn't really compare since everybody's Gryffindor in the main characters of Harry Potter, but whatever. Um, they sort of make a comparison between Xander and Ron Weasley, which makes sense. I don't know a whole lot about Harry Potter, but I know enough to know that Ron Weasley is sort of like the least, the least magically capable. So I can see how that comparison probably has more weight than I know since I'm not a huge Harry Potter person. Um, okay, I already talked about that. Um, I already talked about Xander's masculinity is validated by having the least fear in the end. That is something that was pointed out in the book Sex and the Slayer, um, which I think is pretty astute. That book is probably the smartest of all the Buffy books I have. <laughs> Lorna Jowett, uh, Sex and the Slayer. So that's a good one if you're interested in, like, gender dynamics and stuff. It's it's really academic. Like, it was probably, like, a dissertation or something. Or, what's it called? Is it a dissertation when you write, like, a big book? about whatever. Anyway, you know, guys know what I'm talking about, right? Apparently, this whole episode is based on some a play called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead. I might be saying those names wrong, but... It's a Hamlet reference, and I don't know anything about Hamlet, but apparently there are two, like, I think they're, like, imaginary friend characters. They might not even be real characters, but um, there's, like, a play that's written from the point of view of these characters, and they sort of weave in and out of the storyline of Hamlet, and they're just sort of, like, you know, these little comic relief characters, and... um, just sort of interacting every once in a while with the larger, more dramatic world of Hamlet. 
So um, they, I guess, stole that idea for the Zeppo um, episode from that play, which I think is interesting. Um, let's see. What's my next note? We're supposed to think, think Xander is doing this heroic shit all the time without need for recognition. No, that is something that I think is important. Like, if we're supposed to think that this episode is just a typical day in the life for Xander Harris, it's just what we never see. And I think that was suggested in my episode guide that is called Bite Me, which generally I agree with Nikki Stafford's views on an episode. She usually has some really great insights, but in this particular, I did not agree with her particular outline of this episode where she was basically saying, you know, it's really nice to finally get to see Xander's point of view. Like he's probably always doing, you know, all this heroic stuff behind the scenes that no one cares about because no one's paying attention to Xander. But I don't really agree that no one's paying attention to Xander. Like, I don't think he's like an ignored character. He's just not the center of attention. Like you would normally expect a cis white hetero dude to be. Like, basically we're just not seeing him all the goddamn time because the show was not about him <laughs> and that's normal but i don't think he's disrespected in the way that it is viewed in this episode i don't think he's dismissed as much as they show him in this episode it, they really don't treat him this way so i hope that that's not what the writers are trying to say is that xander is just all the time doing all this cool stuff you just don't know about it because you're paying too much attention to buffy i hope they don't want us to think that because that's really stupid um i'm just gonna go ahead and continue believing that this entire episode is just the exaggerated reality of some stuff that happened to xander on a particularly weird night in his life when maybe he sort of became a more mature human being. Um, I'm not going to say he became a man tonight because that is just gendered bullshit and I'm not here for it. But if he became a more mature person, person because he had a really interesting night where he confronted one of his bullies and I mean, if this were, if you were stripping the metaphor out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to talk about a real situation, which is what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be, this entire show's premise is based around adolescence and creating supernatural metaphors to deal with real situations that people deal with in adolescence. So if this were just the story of a regular run-of-the-mill straight white dude, this would be a situation where he faced one of his bullies, he had sex for the first time, he confronted some of his fears, and he found a little bit of peace within his identity and where he fit in his chosen social group. So if all of that happened, yay for Xander, he worked out some identity issues in this episode, and um, I like him enough to be happy for him. However, I'm glad we don't have to be inside his head all the time. <laughs> but I do like these episodes in general, the ones that are a departure from the norm. I think it's super hilarious every time we were like looking through a window from Xander's perspective into the world of like Buffy and Angel and you know, how dramatic that shit is all the time. It was fun to see it from that lens instead of actually expecting 
I, nor- normally they expect the viewers to be feeling all of those dramatic things, but in this episode we got a little respite from that, and um, it was fun. This is written by the same guy, I will look it up, but it was the same guy that wrote the Lover's Walk episode earlier this season. Okay, written by Dan Weber and directed by James Whitmore Jr. So, um, Dan Weber, I think the only other episode he wrote during the entire series was Lover's Walk. So that's kind of sad because both of those episodes are good episodes. Like, he probably had more that he could say in this world, but, um unfortunately he didn't stick around to write more episodes i guess it's time to go to my ratings i didn't have a whole lot of ratings for this episode um let's see i didn't really have an object of the episode um so i just decided to call it i just decided that i wanted it to be giles's candle collection because there is a point when they're doing like, I think it's a protection spell and um, Giles has like the whole huge library table moved out of the way at the entry point where the hell mouth opens. And he has a huge ring of candles and um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else he has to do the spell, but mostly he's just lighting a shit ton of different, like a bunch of them are black candles in varying shapes and sizes. And some of them are like cool, dark red candles and like ornate little candle holders. And it was just the only thing I could think of. So Giles's candle collection is what I would like to, is the object of affection for this episode. As y'all know, I like to pick one object from each episode that I can pluck out of the TV screen and have in my real life. And at this point I have several things (laughs) in real life. Um, my mom found those, um, in the first two seasons of Buffy, she doesn't have them anymore and I don't think we'll ever see them again. But in the first two seasons of Buffy, she had these pillowcases, these crochet, like cream colored pillowcases and they are so 90s and i love them so much my mom found a set of two pillowcases they look exactly like buffy's cream crochet pillowcases and she found them at an antique store and she bought them for me and they even on the tag like the care instructions tag or whatever there's a date on the tag and it says 1993 so it's very possible that the crochet pillowcases that I now rest my head on every night are the same, not like the same exact ones, but the same like brand, the same type. They could be 1993. (laughs) Whoever bought them for the prop department of Buffy, um, they could have bought the same ones that I have. They look the same to me. (laughs) And, um, at first I was like, I don't need to. But what I've been doing is, um, I, I have two sets of sheets cause it just makes it a lot easier for me. Whenever I decide to change the sheets, I can just change them immediately and I'll just wash the other set, you know, with my next load of laundry, whatever. It's just way easier that way to not have to take them off and wash them and wait for them to dry before I get to put them back on the bed. You know, you know, it's just my one little adult life hack that I have. I have two sets of sheets, so I always have a crochet pillowcase. And I, I do put it right under my face. Like my mom always, <laughs> every time we watch the show together, when Buffy's like laying down her crochet pillowcase, my mom's like, bullshit, nobody would want to put their face on crochet. 
And I'm like, I wanna. And I do. Every once in a while, it is a little rough on my face. So I'll flip it over. But most of the time, I'll go through the whole night just smashing my face right on that crochet, man. It's a delight. So that's one thing that was an object of the episode at one point that I now have. Crochet pillowcases. They are like creamy white and they're not really into white. So I, but I think they're 100% cotton. So I will, eventually I'll dye them. Probably, I'm thinking I'll dye one of them like super dark red or dark purple. And then the other one I'll dye black. So I'll just switch between the two. Or maybe I'll leave one of them creamy white, just like Buffy, and then I'll dye the other one black. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. One of them will become my Drusilla crochet pillowcase, because she would have one too, but hers would be dark red or black, right? Don't you think? And she's sort of the dark half of Buffy. I don't know. Anyway, so I have that now. I also have um, Giles's minty mug, which my aunt and mom found for me at an antique place. And it really is. It looks a lot like Giles's mug. It's almost exactly the same minty mug that he has. I have it now. So that's super awesome. Um, what else do I have? I know that there are other things. <laughs> uh, someday I'm going to make like a spreadsheet of all of my... Um, featured objects and see how many of them I can acquire. I still don't have like what I would really, really love. The first season of Buffy, she had these different colored plastic rings. They look plastic anyway, or acrylic or something that were like a globe. They were like this huge ball and she would just wear them on her index finger. And just like, she had several different colors and they were just so weird. And I've never seen them anywhere. I would love to have that. Um, anyway, I've talked about that before. Going off on a tangent, I need to go help my mom paint. Let's get done with the ratings. So, quote of the episode, again, there really, I mean, there were several standout little funny quips throughout the episode, but I think my favorite, the thing that's going to stick in my mind, besides heed macrame, I can't even say it, heed macrame your face, that one doesn't get to be the quote of the episode because I can't fucking say it gracefully. Is gonna be Giles. Gonna go to Giles whenever he says he's gonna contact the spirit guides because they exist without time but have knowledge of the future. Um, so that's the quote of the episode. Outfit, again, like I said, not applicable because nobody had any good outfits in this episode. Not even Cordelia. No one. I can't even think of a standout article of clothing. The way that Xander sees everyone's fashion is just boring. Um, MVP of the episode. That's something, like, I wrote down Giles. I don't remember why, because he was doing a lot of spells. He was being really proactive. And according to Buffy, it was the bravest thing he'd ever seen. I briefly thought, maybe Xander? I mean, obviously he's supposed to be the hero of this episode. We could give it to him once, right? He deserves it at least once. I don't think I've ever given Xander MVP of the episode. But I just don't think overall the things that we're supposed to think are heroic about Xander in this episode I don't think actually are you know him ha having the least fear against his bully you know him out machoing his bully at the end of this episode I mean it's a nice moment but I don't think that deserves being I don't think he should get awarded for that so we're not going to give him the award who are we going to give it to though um, I mean, you really don't see 
anyone else in this episode. I mean, except through Xander's eyes. Let's give it to Faith. How about that? Because she's back. We haven't seen her in two episodes. She, um, you know, Xander, his first sexual experiences with Faith Lehane, you know that was good sex. I mean, yeah, she sort of was emotionally dismissive towards him afterwards and will continue to be so. Um, but you know that was good sex. So most people would enjoy having some good sex with Faith Lehane. So she's, she's the most valuable player in this episode, I would say. <laughs> Not just because of that because she's back and we got to see her again because she was in the middle of everything. She was fighting with everyone. She was also a big hero, an unsung hero of the episode. And, you know, it's sad that like the one time she is fighting an apocalypse with everyone else and she's in the middle of it and they've included her. We don't really get to see it because it's all from Xander's point of view. We're seeing it from the outside. So, I'm sure she did some really heroic shit in there when the hell mouth opened and we didn't get to see it, which is a shame, which is a damn shame. So Faithful Hain, most valuable player of the episode. Time for five by five ratings. Um, treatment of women in this episode. Well, at one point, Xander calls women trim, which is that a pubic hair reference? What does trim mean? Who fucking says that? Nobody says that. Somebody's grandpa, somebody's great grandpa uses the word trim when they're talking about women. <laughs> like, not Xander. So he refers to women as trim at some point. I swear we never actually learn that chick's name that's interested, in, that is only interested in him because he has a car. So I feel bad for the woman that played her because, like, she's basically an unnamed character. She is super vapid and not interesting at all. Um, Willow is treated pretty normally. What little we see of her. Same with Buffy. Um, do we get... Cordelia is treated as awful, but, I mean, that's pretty normal. <sighs> Just all the hyper-masculinity in this episode. It does pass the Bechdel test because when Willow and Buffy are talking to each other in that scene where it looks like she's wearing pajamas before they run into Xander, she's just, you know, she's saying, um, if you're up for research mode later and Willow's like, I'd be offended if you didn't already count me in. And Buffy said something like, I need my Willow. So that may be the only time it passes the Bechdel test. I think it might be, other than scenes where there's everyone and Faith and Buffy and Willow are there, they might say something kind of directed towards each other at some point during some of those scenes, but maybe not. Um, I don't know. I don't think this, this episode is great to women, but it's not openly terrible. I don't know. I guess... Since I can't really decide, I'll give it a 2.5. There really aren't, I mean, despite like some no homo jokes, there's really nothing, nobody calls Xander. I mean, sometimes they like say that he's not a man, but they don't explicitly 
call him feminized terms. You know, they don't call him a sissy or a girl or anything like that at any point. So that's actually kind of good. <laughs> this time period, that was probably a feat in an episode where we're supposed to be talking about, you know, a white boy's identity crisis and not being a full man. They don't call him a girl at any point. So points for that. Um, and then just enjoyability of the episode in general. I do find this to be an enjoyable episode overall. It's a nice break from the drama in season three, right before we get some serious heavy drama with the next episode in Bad Girls. It's about to get real heavy and it's already time for Faith to go to the dark side. You know, she was only like a main plot point in two of the six episodes she's been in so far. There were four episodes without her entirely. And one, two, three, four four episodes that she's been in so far where she was kind of in a couple of scenes, not a huge part of the plot. Um, and I would count this episode among them. So it's sad that she's already going to the dark side starting the next episode. Because the next episode, Bad Girls, is the one where, like, Buffy and Faith have, like, you know, a little romp together and they decide that they're better than everyone else because they're slayers and they have a moment where you know Buffy lets go for a second and that's when Faith accidentally kills that deputy mayor and then that's where it all goes dark for her so unfortunately we just have not gotten enough Faith apparently I can't say that enough times <laughs> um, so overall enjoyability of the episode let's get back on track um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to give it a high score because I don't love this episode, but it's enjoyable. It's fine. It's totally fine. So let's give it, God, I don't even know. Let's give it a 3.5. So that means it gets an 8.75 as the total score. Is that what I gave like the last episode? I feel like the last episode got that too. Let's see. I have so many goddamn notes. No, the last episode only got a five. Because it made me really mad. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, perfectly fine, enjoyable episode if what we're about to see is Xander being a better human. And also if my headcanon is true, which we'll never know, but I like to think that all of this entire episode was just the exaggerated shit going on in Xander's mind. And I feel like that tracks because he is not necessarily a person that's grounded in reality. And, oh, this episode in general, I feel like is pretty good evidence that Xander is a Hufflepuff. <laughs> because um, just how jaunty his theme is. Like, that nice little fiddle, that like, it's just like, I don't know why it brings me so much joy. That's the real MVP of the episode. Sorry, Faith, but it's gotta be Xander's little fiddle score. Um, yes, so good. 
So anyway, I hope you guys have a great couple of weeks because I will not be back to talk about the next episode until February 9th. So a little less than two weeks since I'm technically putting this out on a Sunday. So it's not exactly two weeks from today. But I will be back to talk about bad girls and we will have a lot to say. Finally, we get to talk about Faith when she's actually there affecting the plot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We won't get to say that very many more times. Oh, props to my mom. So I put out that um, question to you guys last week about whether or not you think, I mean, obviously this decision doesn't need to be made until later this year. And I would still love to hear your input. Um, so let me know if you have opinions on this, on whether or not you want me to review the show Angel in the same way that I do Buffy, because the show Angel will have started 20 years ago. Um, later this year, I think once we hit September, somewhere around there, September or October. And, um, I put the call out like in the last episode or the last couple of episodes about whether or not you guys want me to do that. And my mom had a great idea. And so far this is going to be the plan, although we still have months to refine it or change it. So definitely let me know if you disagree with this current plan, but her idea I think was really good. And she suggested that we, instead of actually reviewing Angel, we just pay attention to Cordelia's character arc in Angel because Cordelia is going to Angel and she is our favorite character that is going to be on Angel. And I think this is a really good idea because I want to find a way to not, because I'm not going to do like strict Angel episodes because I don't care about that show enough to do that, but I have a tendency to talk too much about things. But if I have a focus, if I can just focus on Cordelia's character arc and maybe some key points within the episode here and there, to just have like a little addition to my Buffy episodes. So once I start talking about season four and five and six and seven of Buffy, I can have a little moment where I, you know, just like, okay, it's time for the angel segment of the podcast where I talk about angel for five to 10 minutes, mostly focusing on Cordelia. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll focus on other characters as well. Once Fred comes into the picture, she's an important character that I really like. And there are some crossover episodes with Buffy that I will talk a lot about on Angel. Um, we'll probably do a full, well, you know, so there'll be some episodes of Angel where I will focus on the episode as a whole. If it's a crossover episode where Buffy goes over and there's also a faith story arc that happens in Angel, like a two or three episode arc that's really interesting with faith that starts her redemption process and is really is really important. It's going to be something I definitely want to pay attention to. So we will talk about that when we get there. Um, but overall, I think the idea that my mom had just to pay attention to Cordelia only and not really like dive too deep into the Angel episodes, I think will be a good idea because I do actually want to watch the show of Angel the same way that I'm doing Buffy. I want to watch it 20 years later. And because I didn't do that at the time that it was on. I wasn't watching Angel and Buffy subsequently <laughs> as they were both airing. Um, so it would be nice to do that in real time and see kind of how that played out the way that the two shows related or didn't relate to each other because they were on back to back at first. Um, so it, it'd just be interesting to watch it in real time. 
and just kind of let you know a little bit of my thoughts as we get there. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Obviously, that's not something that we need to decide until September. So whatever. But I'm already thinking about it because I want to be ready and have my plan in place for when we get there. Um, so yeah, I will see you guys in two weeks, February 9th, where we will talk about Bad Girls. I'm really excited. If you guys have any thoughts about this story arc of, you know, when Faith kind of goes to the dark side, I would love to include your thoughts on the podcast. You've got two weeks to let me know, um, if you're listening to this in real time in 2019. So let me know, either email me mixtressradio at gmail. Or you can send me uh, an Instagram message on my Instagram, which is Mixtress Buffy. All of that information is in the podcast show notes as well. Um, definitely let me know. I would love to be able to share some of your thoughts um, on the podcast. So I will see you guys next time. Bye.